everybody, and welcome to the 391st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knocks one out of the park just in time to bring your profits home. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks making some money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving in all the stuff that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Gotta say, I picked up some sweet foils at CSI the other day with the uh, something like I think it was 20% off foils, and then there was another 15% off singles from the membership discount, so it was quite attractive i mean i I picked up two ampersand foils for the ur dragon deck and i'm just giddy so i'm there with you buddy i'm there with you my friend what is on the agenda this week uh we've got our usual five segments coming up we're going to lead off with metagame week in review with some really cool stuff that's happening in modern then we're going to move on to segment two the top movers in paper some fairies some angels some other cool stuff is going on and we need to talk about it all Then we've got our top movers online, followed by our cards to watch. You and I have some picks for the week. And then we've got a secret lair to talk about. Alrighty, busy schedule. Let's dive right in. Over in the metagame week in review, we've got the modern challenge from this past Friday, August 25th. It was taken down by Black Green Yogmoth with a couple of interesting tweaks. I noticed that a Gilded Goose has made its way into this list. They've got two Endurance in the main. Shieldred the Apocalypse is a one-of in here, and of course they're running the full complement of both Orcish Bowmasters and Delighted Halfling ever since the advent of Lord of the Rings. My guess is they wanted one more mana dork, and they needed something with two toughness. That's my guess. I don't know for sure. I don't have inside tech. But a Singleton Gilded Goose is just one more, because you really want the Halfling. The Halfling is where the money's at. But Goose will do a fairly decent one, and it won't die to their Bowmaster. is an important part of the process. Uh, it also makes Yogmoth uncounterable. Well, the Halfling does, well, but the Goose yeah. doesn't. Right, the Halfling. As well as Hapatra and Shuldred. And is it only cre- legendary creatures, or is it legendary no, permanents? No, it's legendary permanents. So it also makes Gris the Hunger Tide uncounterable. Another fun thing to do. Then we have Amulet Titan taking second place in this tournament. They are currently running four copies of the One Ring, four Amulet of Vigor, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, four Titan, four Summoner's Pact, and the full complement of Mycosynth Gardens. Hot card. This third place list is by far the most interesting out of the two tournaments we're going to look at today. This is essentially a blue-white control list, but it has been reimagined for the current meta. 
It is listed here on our sheet as four color control because they are running a single copy of Omnath Locus of Creation, which is not a card I can remember seeing in blue-white control before, mostly because it's blue-white most of the time. But they're running three copies of Lorien Revealed, so they can very easily go get their Triomes, which makes their mana fairly easy. They're running four copies of the One Ring. They have four Solitude and a Subtlety, one Dress Down and four Leyline Binding, which is one of the reasons they're running four colors. Four Counterspell, three Force of Negation, a Cosmic Rebirth out of Aftermath, two Stern Scolding out of Lord of the Rings, four Teferi Time Raveler, three Prismatic Ending, three Supreme Verdict, and the Lorien Reveals that I mentioned before. Very interesting reworking of this list. My guess is that they were looking for a card they could pitch to Solitude, Subtlety, and Force of Negation, and they came up with, all right, it needs to be Bant colors, and all I gotta do is stretch my mana for one more color, and I'd be able to put Omnath into play. And it's just, you know, value creature, get you some landfall triggers. You know, it's gonna be, it's never gonna be bad to have Omnath, but I think it's mainly in here as a pitchable card, but I don't know for sure, and if somebody wants to reach out and let us know, uh, I always love hearing uh, stories like this. I mean, that's certainly part of it. The The other nice thing is that Supreme Verdict can can pitch to both sol- Solitude and Subtlety. And it's very easy for them to get to four pips of Domain because they can just go get Rogrin, Triome, and Zagoth tri- Triome off of Flooded Strand, Misty, Windswept, and Scalding Turn, or Polluted Delta. And boom, they're at, they're at the full complement necessary. And don't forget, this is a Kahira deck too. Ah, right. It is a Kahira deck. So yeah, this is this is pretty cool. F- Blue-red Murktide in fourth. This deck's not going anywhere now that they have access to four preordains and a, a, a better than average uh, resistance to Bowmasters. Some of the lists are still running Ragavans. Some of them are not. Uh, Ragavan's still a fairly powerful card. I note, note that this list in particular was down to two copies of Ragavan and two copies of Ledger Shredder, which is significantly more resistant to the pings. Then we have the other really interesting list of the week. The fifth place list was Grixis Shadow. And this is four Death Shadow, four Dreadhorde Arcanist in a slot that at one point would have either been Ragavan or Monastery Swift Spear. Uh, Arcanist, of course, is a 1-3 that does a little bit of a Snapcaster Mage kind of dance. When it attacks, you get to cast a target instant or sorcery equal to the power of Dreadhorde Arcanist. And of course, this list has four copies of Preordain and four copies of Thoughtseize that it can recast. It also has four Lightning Bolt and two Fatal Push and four Consider. So lots of options for it to pull something out of the yard on the attack. Three Murktide Regent, four Orcish Bowmasters, two Drown on the Lock to spell pierce to lit to round out that list love everything about this this is straight up arcanist value they're not trying to do some wonky combo they're just going to fill their yard and blast you in the face whenever they get a chance to attack with it like you have to marshal all your resources to make sure this thing doesn't attack and it's got three toughness so it's pretty resilient to bowmasters it's playing the full four bowmasters as well and then four death shadow just because it's an awesome card when you're just uh, fetching and shocking the bejeebers out of yourself. Winner all around. It's interesting that... Yeah, that's the part I was looking for. One damage to any target. So right? you can reduce your own life total with your bowmasters to make your shadow oh, bigger. 
Oh yeah, like we're we're back in the area where people were hitting themselves with a with a tar fire in order to make their Lurgoyf better and make their Death Shadow better. We're definitely in that territory. It's it's interesting because they don't have access to Street Wraith in these lists anymore. They have Bowmasters, Lightning Bolt, I guess, in a pinch. Thoughtseize is certainly, and the Arcanist to do it all over again. And then of course they have the pain from their their land base vis-a-vis their shocks and and fetches. I mean, they're running uh, more fetch lands than they are mana-producing lands. you got to love that. The rest of this top eight is another blue-red Merktide list, fairly stocked, with the four copies of Preordain and four expressive iteration. Shardless Footfalls in seventh. I note that this one was running three copies of Bone Crusher Giant. And then another blue-red Merktide to finish things up. Now, that was the Friday. On the Saturday, in the Modern Challenge again, we had Black Red Scam in 1st and 4th and 8th. Fairly stock-looking lists. We had the Blue Red Murktide build that was 3 of the top 8 in the Friday Challenge, coming in 3rd and 7th. And then the other 3 lists were very interesting indeed. It looks like we had Wafotapa here with a 2nd place Grixis Control Shell. And this is the return of Snapcaster Mage, question marks? I mean, Wouldn't that be interesting as a spec to take off here? There's a lot of copies of Snapcaster out there, but uh, the the interaction of Snapcaster with Flame of Anor, Anor? How do you say it? Yep, Anor or Anor. Anor. I'm not sure. But uh, the fact that you get to go one blue-red and choose one, but if you have a wizard, you get to control, you get to choose two, draw two, destroy an artifact, or deals five to a creature. If you're snapcastering this back, guess what creature type that snapcaster is? Oh yeah, that's cute. It's so it's just brilliant, really, because there's so many artifacts you need to kill, and you want to draw two cards. And sure, I'll ping something for five. That's enough to kill the ledger shredders. That's enough to kill Sheoldred. That's enough to kill uh, maybe a Merktide. Depends on how much they got delving going on. Here's the thing. There aren't many recent printings of Snapcaster. It was originally printed in Innistrad. We saw it again in Modern Masters 2017 and Ultimate Masters. It's it's on the list. And there are our Pro Tour promos and Ultimate Masters box toppers, but there is no mainline Snapcaster that's been hmm. printed anytime recently. So, inventory is pretty deep right now, but if it made a move into Modern again at a, at a relatively high level on a consistent basis, that could change. You could definitely see some drawdown. I mean, this whole list is just fascinating because this is stuff people didn't really think you could be doing up until very recently. We've seen a bunch of other blue-black control lists uh, come out of the Lord of the Rings testing where people were using Sauron's Ransom. That's completely absent here. Instead, we have the four Snapcasters, the four Orcish Bowmasters, three Shark Typhoon, two Dressdown, and then 22 instants, including four Counterspell, two Lightning Bolt. I mean, could you get more classic magic than that? You get to run six beta cards in here if you want to. <laughs> one spell pierce two. Boat. Yeah, one one spell pierce two fatal push four archmage's charm, a card that people have largely written off. Three memory deluge, two shieldred's edict, and the three four flame of anor. Which I people, if you cracked a bunch of Lord of the Rings, you have some of these sitting around. I had two borderless foils and a regular foil that need to get up for sale, and uh, you're gonna want to do that because they got drained down as people saw this list appear. Uh, on the various social media platforms uh the other cool list here is there was a scapeshift list as a you know the classic variant to the amulet titan strategy that re- relies more on valakut 
to deliver the the killing blows and they're running three search for tomorrow two scape shift one explorer and four wish and the wish can go get a valicate out of the sideboard it can go get a variety of silver bullets it can go get a scape shift and a Beseju, an Alpine Moon, two Veil of Summer, two Endurance, etc. So they got all their bases covered there. Four One Ring of, in this list as well. Four Sakura Tribe Elder, two Primeval Titan, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, and four Lightning Bolt. There were versions of this floating around, you know, five years ago. And it's been largely off our radar for a while. The sixth place list was another blue, blue black, but not X, no red in here, control list. And this one also doesn't have the Soren's Ransom. Looks like people may have given up on that card for the time being. But it does have four One Ring. It does have four Lorien Revealed. Two Snapcaster Mage made it in here as well. Alongside two Murktide Regent, two Shield with the Apocalypse, four Orcish Bowmasters, four Counterspell, four Fatal Push, four Archmage's Charm again, four Consider, four Force Negation, and two Shieldred's Edict. I mean, this is pure control we're looking at right here. It's pretty outstanding. And But the notable thing is... This is a car, a deck that is not, you know, heavily loaded on the lands. There's only 20 lands plus the four Lorien revealed, and that's the kind of signal that control players just love to have. They want to draw exactly as many lands as they need, and Lorien revealed helps make sure that you are minimizing the overdrawing of land at that point. I, I think if Lorien, if I think if Lorien revealed foils weren't expected to show up again in November. Oh yeah, they'd be twenty dollars right now. I would be looking at them pretty hard at 8-8 eight, eight or whatever they're sitting at currently. I've been looking at the Oliphants as well, and, and even the green and the white ones, because these do way more work than people realize. And until you've played with them and seen how they right. allow you to cheat on your mana base, you don't really fully appreciate it. And you can be doing that in, in EDH as well, where it's even more useful. Lorien Revealed really ought to be in a whole lot more Commander decks. It's true. So... Between these two tournaments, we saw a four-color control, which was basically a modified blue-white control, a Grixis control, and a blue-black control. None of those archetypes were making regular appearances in Modern over the last 12 months, other than the occasional blue-white control list. We also didn't see any of these uh, making doing well at the Pro Tour either. Yeah, so this, this is interesting uh, developments for sure. Moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. We've got Weaver of Harmony. This is one of Cliff's calls back from episode 386 called the Foil Showcase to go two to seven. Here we have the regulars from Neon Dynasty going 250 to 350. This is the new enchantment specific commander uh, that's driving this. And Anathika? Yeah. Yeah, Anathia. And then Folk Hero Extended Arts out of the Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, 450 to 650. This is just a very good uh, typal card for EDH that uh, I'm not particularly surprised to see some motion here, 44% gains. I would imagine this is, people are looking to use this in Giada, who is, <clears throat> has now entered the top five Commanders of the Week based on people buying and starting to build the Angels deck around her. It's pretty great. Balin's Tomb Surge Foils at a Lord of the Rings going 315 to 500. So this is very interesting, yes. This is, I saw four or five of these Surge Foils under pressure this week. People are going after these. Figuring that their relative rarity that you and I flagged up front as being much more rare than people realized was very possible to lead to a shortness of cards. The question now is whether this subset is getting a reprinting in the CBs in November or whether they're using a different gimmick. I would be surprised if they went straight back to the original well 
in that way, but I'm not ruling anything out, to be honest. I could see the same subset with different art. That's possible. Sure. I could see the a different subset entirely. Also true. Uh, and so far, we don't have a clear clue on that. So that's definitely going to be something to watch when we see the late September reveals, I believe, at the Vegas. I think a lot of this is going to come out in Vegas at the yeah. like September 22nd, I think, that weekend. Yeah, that, that last week of September, we're going to get some information about this, and people need to be ready to act. Dreadhorde Arcanist Retro Non-Foils that have Time Spiral Remastered, going $4 to $7. That's the Grixis Control deck we just talked about driving that. Hull Breach Surge Foils at a 40k, 250 to 550 That's just yet more Surge Foil targeting that we've been flagging for months. Flame of Anor Borderless for, uh, Non-Foil at a Lord of the Rings, 4 to 14 the foil regulars four to fifteen. That's both from the Grixis control build. I would sell into that because it's still got some proving to do to before it shows up in top eights regularly. We have Carlac Fury of Avernus, a different version than the one we talked about last week. This is the showcase non-foils at a Commander Masters battle for Baldur's Gate. Three to twelve dollars on the back of Baldur's Gate three hype. It really is an excellent candidate for game of the year. It has been super fun to play. Not the least reason to which is I bumped into a barn the other day where there was grunting noises, threw open the doors only to see a, I think it was a bugbear, had a troll lady bent over or something. It was absolutely ridiculous. This is a family podcast, James. I don't know what kind of games you're playing here, buddy. It's not a family game. <laughs> Let's put it <laughs> Clearly. That way. Might, be, might be a family podcast, but it is not a family game. Giada Font of Hope showcase foils on the back of uh, the Angel Secret Layer deck. Uh, got pushed from 4 to 18, and I noticed, flagged to the pro traders that these are cheaper in other places than they are on TCG Player right now, where they were clearly targeted by vendors or speculators, and, you know, also with players buying up copies to make their commander. And the thing is, this was a, a definitely a spec on this cast a ways back. I can't remember if it was one of us or one of the pro trader selections. Right. But but the there are, is also a Japanese anime promo version. And those have been driven up to $30 plus on TCG Player and drained right out. But over on eBay, you can still get them from Japanese vendors who don't care about them for about $13 or $14. So there probably is a play to be made there as the Angel decks start to land in people's hands and they they reach for the you know fancy versions even further. Uh, we also have Fairy Harbinger out of... Uh, Lorwyn going one to five dollars. This is just regular version uh, going up four hundred percent on the back of the fairies hype. Lots of blue black fairy support in the Wilds of Eldraine set that comes out in a couple weeks. Yep, and then the other fairy that uh, spiked this week was Scion of Una, which went from about twelve dollars to twenty dollars. Uh, that was five weeks ago that I said keep an eye out for that. Even though the card is in the fairies deck, people want the foils. And there weren't all that many foils around, so hopefully you're able to listen, get your copies, and now it's time to get out. Yeah, we had speculated that maybe Shroud would protect it from being included in the deck. That was not I, the case. I, nope, not but at all. Be, but because the foils were only Lorwyn and MH1, that's still really old and scarce foils. Yeah, there just were not a lot of foils uh, made then. Uh, Lorwyn even... Lorwyn was right before or right after they started doing Mythic, because that was the first Planeswalkers. So, yeah, Mythics were shortly thereafter. Uh, moving over to Magic Online Movers of the Week, we've got Express's Expressive Iteration Retro 
non-foils that were in paper they came in the commander decks the brc decks online they are probably treasure chest uh, found and the blue red murktide list stabilizing with three copies of four copies of preordain and four expressive iteration and looking very well positioned in the meta is probably driving this 4.44 ticks to 6.29 that's 42 percent gains polluted delta and i saw other fetches moving up as well the ktk version going 10.49 to 15.42 ticks 47 percent gains i would imagine this is on the back of uh no reprints being likely until mh3 and people feeling like they have a fairly confident timeline Right, they feel like they're. It's not going to go up before then, and until it gets revealed, it's going to keep creeping up. So, if you want to sell into that hype, I would, I would be on board with that. The other thing that could be driving this is the the blue, black, and Grixis control shells we just looked at, and the shadow shell. Like because, any blue fetch is going to be great. Well, and they, but they specifically need more copies of polluted delta than a lot of the other fetch decks in the format. That's true. And then Demi Lich from AFR leads up the top of this list and i'm not sure why when 1.82 ticks to 3.37 85 total i didn't see a demolish deck do well in a uh, pioneer tournament which is where i would expect it to happen but i may have missed it that would be my best guess as to why there'd be movement on that either that or somebody put a video out about it and we missed it entirely possible Moving on over to cards to watch. I'm going to kick things off. I've got a couple of spicy ones here. First one I'm going to go with is the Mycosynth Gardens Foil Extended Arts. <clears throat> they dropped, dropped, dropped from their original release, as, as should be the case with most Foil Extended Art rares from most standard sets, until they got down to about $5 or $5.50. And since they have rebounded about $1 or $1.50, depending on where you're looking, you can currently get them for about 7 bucks. They are in 34,000 decks on EDH Rec thus far, which is 3% of all decks they could appear in. And keep in mind, this is effectively a colorless card, so 3% is actually an impressive number. And it's a 4 of in the Amulet Titan builds. The card is very, very good. Even 34,000 EDH is probably wrong, because whatever your best mana rock is early, if you have a Gardens early, you can copy it. Right. And And I do that in my Zuladoc deck whenever I can. And I'm always happy to do it. You go, you go, Soul Ring, Microsynth Gardens, tap the, tap the Soul Ring on the next turn, copy the Gardens, etc. It's just silly. So Gardens is a very, very good card. It also doesn't strike me as the kind of card because it specifically references something Phyrexian that is likely to just randomly show up in another standard set. Like you're not going to see this on Ixalan. You're not going to, you're not going to see it in the Cowboy set next year. This is the kind of thing that's going to show up in a secret layer at some point, right? probably. And the only other place I would even remotely consider, based on the schedule we've seen, would be something like MH3. But I think it's too soon. Like MH, They've been talking about Canister and Spike have been talking about how they worked on um, Lord of the Rings two years ago. Right. It takes so, a, it, there's a long lead time on these things. Gardens just came out in Q1 of this year. So it seems very, very unlikely that it's going to show up in MH3, which means secret layer is the, really the only issue. And a fancy one on secret layer, if it comes as like an artist special and it's just regular border foil, foil extended art is still the best one. If it has really sexy art on a secret layer, that could absolutely kick this this spec in the nuts. But that's going to be the the threat that most cards we're going to talk about are going to be under for the foreseeable future that's just how life is at this point 
Uh, you're right that this is the only special version. There's no showcase version. There's no Phyrexian version. There's nothing like that at this point. Uh, I think you're correct to say that there will be a secret layer of Phyrexia's favorite lands or something like that. We'll get a Mirex. We'll get a Microsynth Garden. We'll get other stuff like that in Phyrexian text. But uh, you're right about the quantities available. There's nobody with a huge wall. The velocity seems nice, especially since this is an Amulet Titan. People buy it by the playset. I see a couple folks buying foils in multiple copies. And yeah, this is a solid pickup. I think that the price is right. The timing's right. It's up a couple bucks up from where it was at its low. And it's it's ready, I think. It's in enough decks, and it should be in enough decks. The only downside is you can only copy things you control. You can't copy somebody else's cool artifact. But, you know, it's a land, and it gets to turn into your cool thing. And you should be playing it more. I should be playing it more. Everyone should be playing it more. Fair enough. What is your first selection here? Uh, this week I'm thinking a lot about the two twins uh, from Throne of Eldraine, Will and Rowan Kenrith. And Will's their abilities both say tap to do cool stuff to reduce your mana costs. And Will's is based on how much life you've gained. Well, if we're going to build a life gain deck, we want Rock's Faith Mender, the creature that allows you to double your life total. There's other ways to double your life total, but creatures are easier to recur, especially in white. And this hasn't had a foil printing in a long time. Last foil was M15 for modern, uh, in the modern frame. And you can pick them up right now for around $12. And I think sometime in the next six months, they're going to double up to in the 25 range. It's already in about 25,000 EDH rec decks. I feel like that number is a bit low. But again, this hasn't had a serious printing for eight years now. So with Will as a commander wanting you to gain some life, why not gain double the life and get double the benefit of whatever shenanigans you're going to do? The thing is, this card, because it has only ever had the two printings, it's a list card, and it's M13. Was it 13 or 15? I wrote, I wrote down, oh, it was 13. Oh, whoops. Yeah, it's, it's 2013. There are plenty of life gain commanders already applying pressure. Sam and Frodo is a life gain deck, uh, the food deck that I've been playing all summer. If you if you build Bilbo, you're a life gain deck, and you really want a Rock's Faith Mender because you're trying to get to 111 life in that deck. <laughs> Lisa Shroud of Dusk is trying to cast herself for by paying two life instead of paying for commander taxes, and is always hungry for more life. Alora wants to gain four life. Exactly, Alora always wants to gain life, and then you've got you know everything from Giada. People are building the Angel deck, and she can easily have life gain themes. You've got Dina Soul, Steeper, Treebeard, Gracious Host, Lathiel, the Bounteous Dawn, Shauna, Purifi- Purifying Blade. There is a lot of life gain builds that are going to want to make use of the Rock's Faith Mender because life gain in general is one of the weakest mechanics in Magic. So right. you don't want to gain three from a food. You want to gain six. Like you, you really want to make it count when you go that route. So... Yeah, this, is, this to me looks like a slam dunk. There aren't even that many copies left under $20. Like saying 12 is like if you can find them. Local store, smaller stores online, buy them in Europe, buy them in Japan. TCG players are already getting hollow. So I think this one's going to be pretty much a slam dunk. Cool. Tell me about this other pick of yours because I can't remember last time we had something this uh, four yeah. figure as a as a pick. This is a ballsy one. 
but I was doing a doing a look through on some of the serialized cards, and when I noticed that the surge foil Balin's tomb had moved, I went and snapped one of those off in Europe at two forty U.S. on the assumption that they're going to settle in the U.S. between four and five hundred, maybe plus, because they're just not. You and I both know how many packs of Lord of the Rings you needed to open to find one of those things. So the I, I started taking a look at some of the other ultra rares. And Mox Amber serialized as a card I flagged the Pro Traders a while back when I saw people talking about how the Brothers War serialized had fallen off. Because I had been looking at that data intermittently and had already flagged for myself that that wasn't true as it when you looked at the specifics what in fact was happening is what normally happens with any group of premiums is where the bottom 50% of the premiums or two thirds of the premiums move downward pretty consistently but the highest demand ones can often stabilize at a high price point and then potentially drain out and take off which was you know one of my best trades of all time in mtg finance is buying you know two dozen masterpiece soul rings at 100 to 150 dollars which later capped out at 800 to 1,000. I still have a few of those left to sell out of. And so I've been keeping my eye on Mox Amber serialized from Brothers War because, of course, there we know exactly how many there are. And each of them is essentially a unique card. The most desirable numbers are have already been sucked right off the market for the most part. And the remaining, like, random numbers that are left over, like, number 279 or whatever are have been sitting in and around the 1300 to 1500 dollar price point depending on how motivated the seller is for the better part of six months but i'm starting to detect that there are very few of these left anywhere there's just a tiny handful like two or three on ebay there's a a few of them on card market in europe there's a few of them left on tcg player and i have a feeling that if you buy one of these 1350 dollar copies from the motivated sellers of which there are, again, very few left, and just hold for a while, these are probably going to be closer to 1600 to 1800 It's only going to be something like 30 to 40% gains over some reasonable period of time. But some one of the things that people forget is, let's say you buy 10 cards at a dollar, and they go to $3. <laughs> Ooh, you're up 200%, but you've only made $20. And if you check in on that card, on that spec, for, say, three hours total over the course of a year you spend time talking about it debating it examining it cross-checking it against other cards (laughs) and opportunities looking at lists and then double checking what you paid for yours listen you need to stop watching me okay i'm getting a little creeped (laughs) out here by what you're describing like calm down buddy People, people need to keep in mind that specs are not only measured by return on investment you also have to measure your absolute returns against your hourly rate if you value your time at twenty dollars an hour or fifty dollars an hour or a hundred dollars an hour or zero because you do all this stuff while you're watching netflix and you have to consider that when when looking at your absolute returns because it makes a lot of sense to just dabble or or you know basically run a fantasy mtg finance uh, business where you're just kind of like seeing how things you thought would work out do work out over some period of time so you can kind of get figure out what model works for best for you that makes a lot of sense we've told people to do that for for years but once you're in the thick of things sometimes you got to make bold moves to make big money 
And our boy Sloan, who who is a mod in the Discord and writes it for us occasionally, is very, very good at this. You, any major con, Sloan tends to travel because he, you know, for personal right. enjoyment, wants to go to these cons. And, you know, he went to Barcelona. He, he's been at multiple cons on, in the U.S. this year. And in almost every case, he keys in to the hot shit on the floor and he picks, scoops stuff up, whether it was the, you know, one of 295 cards that they, the staff were handing out or, or uh, specialty play mats or attire that they were, they were uh, trading for tickets at the uh, prize booth or whatever the hot release, most recent release was. So, like, I, I know when... Uh, the site-specific secret layers have been good to him, too. Yeah, well, th- yeah, that's the 295s. Oh, oh, I know what you're saying. The, the ones that are only at the cons? Yes, also right. true. But I was thinking of the five Praetors that right. had the borderless foil uh, serialized that had unique art, which turned out to be a big deal, that it was the only way to get that art. Uh, and most of those have held over a thousand dollars since. So he was able to scoop some of those on the floor and flip them quickly. And in talking to him while he was doing it, I was buying stuff from people on social media and made money that way as well. I feel like Mox Amber, given that it's in a hundred and ten thousand EDH decks, and probably should be in more, given that it it is functionally a rainbow Mox. If you have a low cost commander or a commander that tends to be out for a good portion of the game. And very low inventory globally, as I said. This this is the rarest version of this card that is likely to exist anytime soon. I don't think Wizards is going to get in the habit of serializing the same cards twice quite yet. We will see that eventually, but I don't that's, think you know that's an they've got a ways. Yeah, they they've got a ways to go before they need to. So this looks good to me. I, I think the the percentage returns are going to be modest, but the absolute returns will be real. Let me rephrase what I was going to say. In the Brothers War collector boosters, you needed to open around 9,100 collector boosters to open a serialized foil of a specific type. So you're looking at an enormous amount of product that you needed to open. A lot of these have gotten sucked up by people who want to put it in their commander deck and are never going to let it go. and Or other collectors who are like, I need one of every serialized or... I need to have this one at this number or everything that's a a 100 it's a 001 out of 100 or whatever it is. Like there's an it doesn't take a lot of people who are both into the collecting want the, to play the card and have the spare cash to make this go crazy. I can't argue with any of it. Like these cards have had their chance to settle down and now there's almost no supply. And this would be a wonderful place to, especially if you've soaked up a bunch of credit someplace, this might be a great way to get your credit out and know that it's going to grow in value. So this is this is solid. I'm with you on this. It's a shame that uh, only about maybe, what, 20 people will be able to take this particular <laughs> yeah, uh, spec. But that's a fact. That's where we're at. The The thing is that there's a, there are ways to broaden your margin here. Let's say that you sell on TCG Direct. Well you might end up being the only Mox Amber serialized on direct. That's quite point. likely, yeah. And, and so maybe you're not asking for 1600 1800 You're going to put it at nineteen ninety nine ninety nine or th- 2000 99 or you're going to throw it up on eBay under the global shipping program at one of those price points and just dare a high ruler to jump on it at some point. And maybe your in isn't snapping these copies off 
you know, buy it nows or or bins on TCG Player at thirteen fifty. Maybe you're gonna find one on Facebook and use the thirteen fifty to negotiate down to twelve hundred, because they would pay that much in fees anyway. You I know, mean, who doesn't love negotiating? So I think I think this is this is one at minimum. This is a situation to watch, because the serialized are a relatively new phenomenon in Magic. We know that you know the. We know that the ceiling is much higher than any of us imagined because the one-of-one one ring went for way more money than almost every pundit, including us, thought it would. Yeah. You know, I thought I thought maybe the max on the one ring was 250 Maybe, like, a week later I changed my mind to, like, a million it could go for, but I didn't think two million. And I thought when people said Post Malone was going to buy it that that was just, you know, the kind of idle chatter that made sense, but I didn't think that was actually what would happen. Well, clearly it did make sense for Post Malone. I, I, I think I just thought he had a money manager that would be more active in steering him away from that, but apparently well, not. This is a whole discussion in that there are a whole lot of hobbies which are much more akin to setting money on fire. And at least, sure. you know, you're not going to get, you know, 70% of 2 million back on this, but you're, it's not like you're losing all the money on magic. And, until they print another one of one, this is something that maybe he could put up for resale and get a significant portion of what he paid back for it. Yeah, I mean, it would, it's all about desperation, right? He, That's he can, true, too. <laughs> they, they know where to... Anybody who wants it knows where to find him. They know he doesn't really need the money. So unless they hear he's on hard times, they're not going to be able to lowball him. So You have to blow him away <laughs> with an offer. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm with you on the Mox Amber. The price that it's currently at reflects its popularity because there are plenty of serialized cards that are pretty cheap. And so it's all about the demand for the card itself, not just the collectability of it. And this is one of the more playable and collectible cards. So this is solid, and I'm, I'm with you on this. All right. What's your final selection this week? Uh, my other pick this week is plays well with either will or rowan and there are uh, again not a lot of foils out there of this particular card this is mage rights stone a two mana artifact that was originally in dissension but was added to the mystery booster retail so it's in uh, available in foil that way and that's actually the version i think people should get you can get it for around seven fifty eight dollars right now on tcg player i think that this so what it does is two mana and it says one tap Untap target creature that has an activated ability with tap in its cost. I've got this in my Ayara deck, and it's wonderful to get a second helping of it. I know a lot of people like, uh, what's its facer, Thousand Year Elixir, because that gives haste and gives you the untap. But this right. one allows you to do the same thing twice, and if you like doing it once, why not do it twice? So this one is available for $7, and I think that once the people start building Will and Rowan decks that this is going to be one of the cards that they throw in there. Dissension foils are an option too, but those are already in the 22 range, and I don't, considering that they look almost exactly the same as the Mystery Booster foils, I would more advocate for the Mystery Booster foils at 7 to go to 15 than Dissension foils to go $20 to... Dissension foils could go to anything. It could go to 50 it could go to 60 or 70 but I think the mystery booster is a, a lower entrance and more likely to pay you off. This is a clever one because you're, I, I can see people building at least a bunch of will and maybe some Rowan. So there's definitely going to be some pressure here. And commanders that tap to do things is not going away anytime soon. 
So yeah, but this is this, this is, is crying out for a reprint though too. I'm aware. Yeah, of that it's risk. it's it's just kind of like an open ended question mark when it might get that. It could it, again could easily be a secret layer at some point. But the thing people need to remember, as I've said many times, is there is a really big pool of cards to draw from. <laughs> yeah, there's get, a lot. And it gets, and it gets, they print at the rate that they're print with the power creep in even standard sets now. You get five to 10 to 15 relevant cards per new set. So the pool expands. Not, And the question is, will it expand more quickly than the reprints are chewed up? And that is an outstanding question. So uh, given what we know so far, this looks solid to me. Moving on over to our weekly topics, we're going to take a look at the Secret Layer Fall Super Drop. They have dropped seven new options on us. And it just so happens that they're trying out a new mid-tier bundle. Where for once, they have exactly the the correct number, specific sets that I want in on. <laughs> the one I'm talking about is Bugs, Bands, and Blockbusters which includes the bundles now on VHS, uh, Keep Partying Hard, Shred Harder Than You Previously Thought, which is a title that is trying too hard, and Buggin' Out. So, now on VHS is a 80s videotape motif that will mean nothing to people that were born in the 2000s. True, but if you grew true. up going to Blockbuster every Friday night trying to figure out what you were going to watch that weekend, this will hit home. And this is a good selection of cards. You're getting a rampant growth and a rewind, which don't really matter. But you're getting the first sliver at a point where people are building a lot of sliver decks. And you're getting a that's... really, really good version of Food Chain that's going to be, I think, the definitive art for this card for ages. Where you got a gigantic monster chasing a T-Rex that's chasing a human that's chasing a chicken which is about as fun as it could be. I mean, the timing on First Sliver is really exquisite. We've given Wizards a lot of crap for not knowing what to do or when to do things the right way, but being able to have this ready to go at the moment when Slivers are, you know, pretty popular, this is this is well done. And there's so many little jokes on these cards. The fact that they put Rewind on the VHS one and it has like on the on the sticker fifty cent charge if tape is not rewound. That is so so good. It hurts me. Um, this is also in the style of the Shark Typhoon that was in the thirtieth anniversary, which I'm also yep. really fond of. Uh, this also looks like it's pre worn on the edges, which I both love and despise because <laughs> I don't want to be trying to figure out if my card is near mint with the wear. Or is it rightly worn? Or what is going on with these? Sure. The uh, the thing that people might not realize is that the Sliver hype lately has driven all versions of the first Sliver over $50 marketplace on TCG Player. So you have the original printing and its foils from Modern Horizons in 2019. Then in Modern Horizons 2, they gave us Retro Foil and Retro Foil Etched, which is still such a travesty that they did both. I don't know what they were thinking there. But the all of those versions are over fifty. So this drop, the thirty dollar regular version, is you know a first sliver that's got to be able to hold twenty to twenty five by itself. Seems like and likely. and a food chain that probably picks up the rest of the of of the value. 
and then you might get a bonus card that matters. So that's very good. Now the second of the three out of the out of the uh, triple bundle is keep partying hard, and this one has Tevish Zot, Doom of Fools, Godo Bandit Warlord, Jessica Thrice Reborn, and Vile Smasher the Fierce. This is not as interesting financially, but the art is absolutely excellent. Pretty much this every time they've gone to the they've gone to the metal album cover well, they have knocked it out of the park. It is outstanding looking. It's one of those things that like you don't have to want to play the cards to want to have these in your binder. You know, I've got yep. a set of the the monster movie ones with like Blasphemous Act and Rise from the Dark Realms and stuff, and I just like looking at them. And this Vile Smasher, this thing is amazing. They they did all of these super right. That Tevesh Zat, these uh, that's the com- the Commander Planeswalker one, right? Yeah. So like this is all stuff that's really well executed. They've got the full text on all of these cards. Like they put <laughs> so much text on these, and you think it would make the card look terrible. You know, Godo has a ton of text. These are two Planeswalkers. But no, it works. It's fantastic. And you think, like, how do the people who make these also make the terrible decisions to, like, print doubling season five times in a row? I don't know. Yeah, and the thing is, like, Vile Smasher doesn't show up in the... Yeah, it doesn't show up in the top 30 because the partner commanders are tracked differently on EDH Rec. Something people need to be aware of. But it would be in the top 30 over the last two years based on having 11,000 plus decks. And I see oh, Vile yeah. Smasher plus X all the time in our all the time in, in the all Pro the time. All the time. And this is going to be the definitive Vile Smasher, I have zero doubt. The Tevish Zat, you're never going to beat that. The Jeska Thrice Reborn is nice, not as amazing. And the Godo is incredible. I mean, for for a card that is basically about attacking the table to death once it appears, this is this head-on charge so on top cool. of his like four-horned uh, bison or whatever he's on. Awesome. Well, the so, only thing they could have done here that would have been better would have put Godo in like some big-ass Guar kind of gear and like a sword bigger than he is, and just. But as it is, he's rocking hard. Is intimidating to me personally. And this is a really great secret layer that is available for the delightful pre- with the bundle that you pointed out. You get ten dollars off the the three bundle. Uh, yeah. So I'll get to the pricing in a second. But the third oh, okay. drop is bugging out, which is kind of similar in the sense that it's incredible art, but financially less interesting than the first one. Eldritch Evolution, Giant Adaphage. Noxious Revival, Gris the Hunger Tide, and Maseric Crawl Death Priest. So I guess we're hanging most of this on Grist, which is currently at $5 for regular copies. Is Adaphage or anything more expensive than I'm assuming it to be? No, it's like a dollar. Yeah, the and... Eldritch Edge Evolution copies can be had for $4 from Eldritch Moon. Sure. So financially, this one doesn't excite me, but again, th- this art will be the definitive art for all of these cards. So I think that this but this drop will do okay, uh, probably cover its cost. And you might just, if you didn't, and you only bought a small number of the this bundle of the three of them, 
you're not going to be sad to absorb them into your collection. Like if you play Black Green Yawgmoth, go ahead and buy four Bugging Out vis-a-vis four bundles. And the worst case scenario is you're going to get to put them in your deck. Because <laughs> you play Grist and Eldritch Evolution in Yawgmoth these days. And that's just going to look good. So if you're looking at the non-foil, you get it for eighty, like a 12% discount. Which basically means instead of paying 30 for the regular, you're getting it for 26 So with the whatever bonus cards you're getting, you know, assuming that they're worth 2 or $3 minimum, you're probably going to do pretty fine here. And I saw some of the pro traders jumping on this bundle like right out the gate the first hour after it went live on the basis that they just want to be first to market with these because they look so good. Right. And they're you thinking they're going to get... They're thinking they're going to get a good premium right up front. And I've seen pro traders many times that sell on TCG Player get 30% on their secret layer purchases within the first two weeks. Now, later, that opportunity tends to evaporate for a while, but that that's a move that can be made by the Brave. And normally, you don't get to, to you know get the three most obvious bundles put together like this in a way that lets you do that. If you take the everything bundle this time around, instead of it being four eighty nine eighty six, you get it for four nineteen ninety nine, and that is a fourteen percent discount. So you only get two percent more off by absorbing everything. And in this case, I don't think you want to absorb everything. There are a couple of other like solid drops here. There's absolute annihilation, which I think they could have wrapped into the the other super cool art bundle. And it would have, nobody really would have blinked. This one has Mass Hysteria, Oppression, Terminate, and a Braid. Terminate and a Braid non-foils are, you know, could easily be the, the definitive versions of those for competitive play. So, you know, there's something to at least consider there. There is a Magic the Baseballing, which does nothing for me. But I'm sure if you love <laughs> baseball, this, this might be a must-purchase from a collectible perspective. It's got the original five Planeswalkers from Lorwyn, so it's a Johnny Goldmane, Jace Beleren, Liliana Vess, Chandra Nalar, and Garrick Wildspeaker. These days, the two that are most played out of that are probably Vess and Wildspeaker in your average EDH builds. I use Wildspeaker to untap stuff, un- untap lands in my Attracts of Planeswalkers deck, and Liliana Vess I will occasionally put in black decks as a Demonic Tutor effect. The... The execution on the baseball card art is top tier. Very well done. It really and is, I think yeah. you know, base, baseball fans will be about it. So I think they they could have solid aftermarket purchasing trends as a collectible, just as people trip over them. And if TCG player ever gets off their ass and figures out how to showcase the best looking <laughs> collectibles on their platform in a more sensible way, the you know, this is the kind of thing that could take off. The basic lands here I'm actually a big fan of, um, but that's because I'm pretty big in the designer toy world, and Gary Baseman did this art, and Gary Baseman is is a very well-known artist in modern uh, and toy art circles. He's done a bunch of projects for television and film. He's done a whole bunch of uh, designer toys that have sold very well, and his art books are, are quite popular in a, in a certain segment of that. Uh, of that culture these are very distinctive looking basics if you like basemen you'll probably be very into these this is one of the the first secret layer basics where i will probably seek out a set of them i don't know what deck i would want to put them in right but i might just want to own them to own them on the other hand i don't expect most magic players to know who the hell gary basement is 
because I'm not convinced that Venn diagram has all that much overlap. So I don't really see this one as a spec. It just looks like an interesting collectible. They continue to disappoint me, and I know you, with how they're handling the Artist series. To me, it makes sense that the Artist series should be borderless. And the reason for that is that you have all these amazing artists that work on Magic cards, but when they are forced to use the ratio of regular Magic card art, you only really get so much of a sense of their capabilities. Sometimes if you stop and stare at a card and really pay attention to it, you may be be like, oh, wow, I didn't notice that detail before. Very cool. And it might increase your esteem for that artist. But a lot of the time, really great art by really great artists goes relatively unnoticed. And I think the artist series is just so obviously the place where they should be doing borderless. At the least borderless. Maybe they they figure that they have to do regular frame for some of the secret layers. Like they don't want to overdo the borderless, but I don't really think that's a thing. Like, I think as my decks fill up with a bunch of different aesthetics, they're just getting more interesting to look at. Right. So, like, there are certain people that want everything to be samey, samey, but those people were <laughs> those were people never aren't, aren't running out to buy secret layers. No, they're just they're happy with the ones they already have. Or, or they're not buying as many secret layers as you want them to because they're buying the things that that match their particular aesthetic goals. So Kev Walker is very, very talented artist. He got Fleshbag, Murado, Faeborough, Elder, It That Betrays, which is good given Zuladoc's popularity lately, and Carnage Tyrant. Fine cards, great art for them. Not really showed off the way that I would want them to be for the artist series, so I think you skip this one as well. Can you imagine buying the Everything Bundle and you're like, oh yeah, absolute annihilation. Now on VHS cards... Cool. Ooh, baseball cards, double-sided, awesome. Look at these party harder cards. That's some some sweet cartoony basics and with these bugging out cards. And then you get to this set of regular cards where you have oh, nothing shit. I special. Oh, didn't, shit, I didn't realize the baseball cards were double-sided. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, that that's very nice. Yeah, so there's all kinds of cool things in this secret layer. And then the turd in the punch bowl is the artist series, supposed to be highlighting the art, and they won't even do extended art borders. They won't give us a border. They won't give us, like, the full art, no text frame. They won't do any of that. And it just, it is terrible. And I'm sorry, but they are wasting opportunities here. You can't give Kev Walker the whole two and a half by three and a half card. Fine, give him two by three instead of this one and a half inch by one inch frame that is the normal magic card this is lame and this is a good set of cards Fabro elder it should be in more decks carnage tyrant is always great uh this is like the 53rd printing of fleshback marauder and like you said it that betrays is right on schedule again with the card very timely to have the eldrazi popular right now and this is just meh orders over 75 include free shipping so that means if you were to get, say get four of the non-foil bugs, bands, and blockbusters edition, uh, it's going to be pretty clean uh, purchase. Is that internationally uh, that, free? No, I bet that's U.S. only. Hmm. Uh, it could be in Europe if they. I, I know that they set up a depot in Europe for inventory, so they may have already shipped it over there. Um, I would have to double check that before I commented further. Um, the other thing I wanted to go over quickly here is they released there, there was a, I guess they must've done a stream today and they released four new Doctor Who cards. 
I don't know if you have these in front of you or not. I'll throw you a link. Uh, yeah, I saw one. I saw a couple. Of, I was commenting on the Discord that the White Saga literally has the most foolishness I've ever seen on one magic card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had the exact same thought without having seen your comments. The Girl in the Fireplace, two in a white, Enchantment Saga. The first chapter is create a 1-1 white human noble creature token with vanishing three and prevent all damage that would be dealt to this creature. Then create a 2-2 white horse creature token with doctors you control have horsemanship. Then, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player this turn, time travel. (laughs) That is the perfect card to hand to somebody who's never played magic before and just watch them give up immediately. I mean, I... I am a vested player, man. I have been doing this twice as long as my children have been alive. I have financed transmissions off of magic, and this card makes me want to just take a break for a year. But then when I come back in a year, Lord only knows what kind of foolishness they're going to cram onto a card. They haven't. Uh, I looked this up earlier. They gave us one horsemanship card in, uh, I think it was uh, March of the Machine Commander, and they have not done a horsemanship card since original Portal 3K. They have not made a new one. There's been a couple reprints in there, but all of them date back to the original Three Kingdoms release. So and, I, and it's basically flying, but even better flying because it's even unless better you flying. have horsemanship, you can't yeah. block. So it's it's basically unblockable. Uh, so it's probably good in the white doctor decks because any doctor that wants to hit on the second chapter, as long as they haven't killed the horse creature the doctors will continue to have horsemanship. And then whenever a creature you control deals combat damage, you get the time travel, which is another solid benefit. They also showed us Donna Noble as a soul bond doctor companion. You can have two commanders if the other is a doctor. So when you're building Doctor Who decks, you're going to have, it's like partners. You're going to have a doctor and you're going to have a human companion. This is a 2-4 for 4 soul bond which is you get to pair the creature with an unpaired creature when either enters the battlefield. This goes back a ways. I think it was Avacyn Restored or something. Correct. Uh, Whenever Donna or a creature it's paired with is dealt damage, Donna deals that much damage to target opponent. So this is kind of like setting you up for a stuffy doll type deck where you want to hurt your doctor and your companion over and over again (laughs) and punish your opponents as a result. Well, this would be really fun to pair with Stuffy Doll, because then you'd get double the triggers, because Stuffy Doll would have its own trigger. Yeah. There was also uh, Fugitive of the Jadoon. Do you know these words? I don't know these words. I think Jadoon's correct, yep. Okay. Uh, first step in this saga is create a 1-1 white human creature token with Ward 2 and a 4-4 white alien rhino creature token. So you get a 4-4 <laughs> and a 1-1... <laughs> For five, for four and a green. This is such a silly set. Alien Rhino. I'm, I'm Alien sure Rhino. there's a great reference to this. I just don't know what it is. Step two is investigate. Oh, it's. I, I actually watched this episode. Oh, the, did you? It's literally. Those things with the helmets on are literally Rhino people. Okay. And then step three on this saga is you may exile a human you control and an artifact you control. If you do, search your library for a doctor card, put on the battlefield, and shuffle. So you're going to sacrifice, you've got to choose to sacrifice two things, and then you go find one of your doctors and go kerblau right into play. White yep. human and alien rhino. Go populate away, man. And then Weeping Angel, uh, actually one of the best episodes of Doctor Who in existence and worth watching even if you never watch anything else. 
Anyway, Weeping Angel, one blue-black, two-two, flash, first strike, vigilance. In blue-black. Whenever an opponent whenever an opponent casts a creature spell, Weeping Angel isn't a creature until end of turn. If Weeping Angel would deal combat damage to a creature, prevent that damage, and that owner creature's owner shuffles it into their library. That's a pretty neat effect, but uh, Flash, First Strike, Vigilance is not what you expect on a three-mana Demir card. Now, these are, are these also straight to modern? So basically, if they are, uh, are Doctor Who cards straight to modern? I thought I it was the same as think Lord of the Rings. I don't think so. All right, we'll double check, double check that. Double check that. The, this is a, so basically if they're foolish enough to cast a creature before their attack phase, your Weeping Angel can't block. Can't, oh sorry, not foolish enough. If they're smart enough to cast, or lucky enough to cast a creature spell before their attack phase, your Weeping Angel will not be able to block. But if they run out of that option, then anything they attack with is just going to get sent back into their deck. So, very nice rattlesnake effect. Yeah, because it's got first strike. So then, uh, before it would deal the damage back, you've already shuffled it away. All right, yeah, that's neat. And and it's got flash. So the first time there, you, you're going to get around it. That's it's going to get to put at least one thing back in the deck. <laughs> that does. And seem... then after that, and then after that, it's going to be: do, Are they casting a creature this turn? Lordy, this is going to be a complicated, crazy set. Oh yeah, the 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 pre pre release for this is gonna be wild, if they do one. Uh, okay, so there was those. They also, but they also showed off some Wilds of Our Dream stuff that we had not seen yet, because they showed off the full set after our last interaction, and I oh, don't yeah. think there was anything that really jumped out at me as super important. So I think I guess we can we can probably move on. Oh, I know what they showed. They showed the set specific cards right the the transported jumpstart because it seems like they're not going to do jumpstart anymore amen and hallelujah right and so some of these actually look quite good uh, i think there's a virtue cycle right no the virtue cycle is in the main set you're thinking of the new monarch cycle ah uh, the new monarch cycle right 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 and those oh, the w wocs yes yeah those do look very very good uh the whole cycle of introducing everybody to the fact that the monarch is probably the single best commander mechanic around i i know that every game i play with the monarch just moves on nobody's you know unsure of who to attack you attacked me well i want the monarchy back well you attacked me well uh, screw you it's great i love everything about that oh yeah yeah here they are court of ardenvale Court of Vantress, Court of Lockthwain, Court of Embrith, and Court of Garenbrig. I could see these potentially being solid specs that show up on our cards to watch list at some point because these do more work than people realize. Monarch and Initiative are OP. Yes. In, in Commander, especially if you build around them. Court of Ardenvale is two double white enchantment. Whenever it enters the battlefield, you become the Monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, return target permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to your hand. If you're the Monarch, return that permanent card to the battlefield instead. This is a Lurus they can't deal with as easily, and you get a card out of the bargain no matter what. Yeah, all of these give you the Monarchy immediately, and they all give you something worth doing, even if you're not the Monarch. But if you happen to keep the Monarchy... It's pretty overpowered. I think my favorite is the Court of Vantress, the blue one, two blue blue. Comes into play, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one other target enchantment or artifact. If you're the monarch, make a token that's a copy. If you're not, 
Court of Ventress becomes a copy of it and keeps that ability. Which is just great. You're just copying stuff all over the place. Copying the enchantment. So now you have a smothering tithe. You copy the now artifact. Now you have a Ristic. Yeah. Now you have a Sensei's Divining Top. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, This is these are very good. Court of Lochtween. Become the Monarch. It's two double black. Being able to upkeep, exile the top card of target opponent's library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. And mana of any type can be spent to cast it. But if you're the ma- Monarch, you cast them for free. So look at somebody's library. Cast the thing for free. Copy their uh, an important enchantment or artifact. Bring something back from your graveyard. The Court of Embereth lets you create a 3-1 red knight creature token. Then if you're the monarch, it deals X damage to each opponent where X is the number of creatures you control. So absolutely a Ginny Fey card. And then Court of Garenbrig. <laughs> this is the only one that's three mana of all uh, things. This is... Yeah, comes the Monarch, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, distribute two plus one plus one counters among up to two target creatures. Then if you're the Monarch, double the number of plus one plus one counters. The thing is, we're at critical mass already on this nonsense, because I have Atraxa Counters Matters built, and the deck is very strong. And this just snaps right in there. I go Hardened Scales, turn one, some Counters Matters creature, turn two, turn three, Court of Garenbrig, and we're away to the races. And I got a card out of the bargain, so... There's almost there's almost no downside to playing these cards in decks that would have reason to care about them. The the blue, white, black, and greens look like auto includes in a lot of decks. The red is kind of a build around. They gave us a new version of Corvold, Corvold Gleeful Glutton, five black, red, green. So eight casting cost Corvold for four four. 4-4 four, four Flying Trample Haste, but it casts one last less to cast for each card type among permanents you've sacrificed this turn. Winner. The only, down, the only downside to that is it's card type, so that's not going to count any tokens. So you don't get to get the, the discounted benefits off of food or, in, or clue tokens or treasures, right? Because they're not card types. Well, the tokens are card types. It's just oh, because they're artifacts, right? So it's not looking. Okay, so at, you do. Well, you, they've got to stay in your in your in your thing for her, for Corbold's later ability, but the tokens absolutely would count for the spell reduction. It just wouldn't count for the last ability when he deals damage. Put X counters and draw X cards. It is a little more interesting now that they gave us the roll tokens because now you have enchantment tokens. Mm-hmm. If if your deck if your Corvold deck cares about that, I I wouldn't switch out original Corvold for Gleeful Glutton, but I'll try to make room for Gleeful Glutton. I was going to say I would add the Gleeful Glutton to an original Corvold deck in a moment. Yeah, yeah. the The final ability here is whenever Corvold deals combat damage to a player, put X plus one plus one counters on Corvold and draw X cards, where X is the number of permanent types among cards in your graveyard. That's a very good ability. That is good. Uh, I also really like the Ginger Sculptor, the other uh, commander. For- Brainard. Uh, Brainard. So each creature, it's a one green, white, blue, so band colors. Human artificer, each creature you control that's a food or a golem gets plus two, plus two, and has trample. Already good with all the splicer golems and every other golem thing you want to do. But whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a, co- a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a 1-1 one, one food golem artifact creature in addition to its other types, and it has two taps, sack this, and you gain two life. So, Whenever your friends die, they turn into cookies. Yes. I love it. They turn into 3-3 three, three cookies with trample. 
And if you've got come into play abilities to go on, then you're really in, in set. Yeah, this is fun, and I will probably build this deck because I love cookies more than most things. I mean, cookies are who doesn't love a cookie? And then the the last card that they planned on for jumpstart and then didn't uh, get to give us was Throne of Eldrain. You know, another one of the cards that named after a set. Five mana for a legendary artifact. When it comes into play, as it comes into play, choose a color. Tap, add four mana of the chosen color. Spend this mana only to cast monocolored spells of that color. Three, tap, draw two cards. Spend only mana of the chosen color to activate this ability. So if you're looking for a payoff for why you should play monocolor in this time where it's so good to play so many colors, Throne of Eldraine is amazing. I can't wait to slam this in my Iara deck. Yeah, this is like not making it into my Atraxa builds, obviously. Obviously. But but somebody's mono black Cabal Coffers style deck that's going to try to burn the table out with Torment of Hailfire or whatever. That sounds loves real themselves, good. Loves themselves a Throne of Eldraine. Can't even... Because <laughs> they'll just draw two cards every turn to, to go find it. It seems until, really great. And then tap this for four mana to the, add to the X. Notably, you cannot put this in Zuladoc because you cannot cast non-colored... You cannot cast colorless spells. Only monocolored spells of that color. So I yeah. won't even put this into Ur-Dragon, even though something like 70% of the spells in there are red, because there's almost no mono-red spells in there. But So you got to be, you know, hardcore on the single-color plan. But I think this is going to be one of the cards that gets surprisingly cheap early on, and... Uh, it may not get too cheap. It's already like $12 for the cheapest version. So we'll see what it gets to over the next couple months. Yeah, so that's a, a great set of cards. I love it. I'm also really glad they're not doing Jumpstart anymore. That was just an extra product they did not need to be doing. All right, where can folks find you online? You can find me online on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my articles every single Friday on mtgprice.com. And you get folks can find me on Twitter at MGGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys. Our people just made a killing on Lorcana. Oh, Easily killing. Paying. Killing. Easily paying for their fees. And a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, Lorcana, One Piece, you Flesh and it. Blood. Yeah, there's a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Do you think they did enough for us this week, James? They have kept us busy as always. But right now I need to go sleep because I'm going surfing tomorrow. Wish me luck! Have fun, buddy. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, all of, all of you. And we'll see you next week for another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.